I would assume you all are having the same experience that I'm having whenever we go out to eat or whenever we go grocery shopping, and that is we're suffering sticker price uh, when we get the bill because prices are going up. I am amazed at how much prices have gone up in just the last six months. And uh, it's starting to affect our lifestyle a little bit and back the decisions we're making about what we're buying and not buying and, and so forth. And if that doesn't get you enough, you go to the uh, gas station. And uh, I noticed the gas went over most places $3 a gallon uh, this past Friday. And so uh, it's costing more to travel and go around, et cetera, et cetera. I thought I'd just get your service started on a really good note uh, this morning with what, what we're facing. Paying in prices. And of course, the key word for all that is inflation. Uh, inflation is just sort of impacting uh, every part of our lives right now. When God made us and created us, and the Bible gives the account in the book of Genesis of how He made and created creation and created and made human beings, He placed upon them and upon us value. But then man decided he was going to go out and do his own thing in his own way. And in the process of doing that, the Bible describes that as sin. Just basically blowing God off and saying, I'm going to, going to go do this the way I want to, the way that I want to. And when God looked at us and we had sinned, that separated us from God. And God wanted to reconcile us and bring us back to himself. And so God said, I've got to do something about this. But having a relationship with us at that point involved inflation. Because having a relationship with us at that point became much more costly to God than what it had been originally when He created us. And I call this divine inflation. How is God going to bring us back into a relationship with Himself? Was, what was the cost going to be? And was He willing to pay that cost? You turn with me in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We will see how God dealt with the inflation that impacted having a relationship with us. The 20th chapter of Acts, as we've seen a few weeks ago, is the story of how the Apostle Paul, who was on his way to Jerusalem, stops in the city of Miletus. Now, Miletus was a port city. It had multiple ports in it. One of the ports served the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was about 30 miles to the north. The book of Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. And when Paul gets to Miletus, he sends for the elders, the church leaders there in Ephesus. And he says, I want you to come down to Miletus, and I want you to hang with me. And I want to share with you. And I basically want to commission you all for the work that you will carry out uh, in the Lord's service and taking care of the churches and the Christians there in Ephesus. Because Paul said, everywhere I go, the Spirit of God is testifying to me that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to eventually going to be bound. I'm going to be imprisoned and I'm never going to see you guys again. So this is my final time with you all. So please come down here. So the elders leave Ephesus. They make that 30-mile uh, journey down to the city of Miletus and they gather there with Paul. And Paul begins to lay out to them, as we saw a few weeks ago, who he was, what he had done while he was with them how he had shared the gospel with them, how he had prayed for them, how he cried over them, how literally he had poured his life into those believers. And then he begins to say goodbye. 
And then he begins to speak to them in verse 28 about what he wants them to do. And notice what he says to them. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in other words, the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care. Now notice the second half of this sentence, because this is what we're going to focus on. To care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. To care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Paul is looking at these elders, and he recognizes, as they do, that they have responsibility to go back to Ephesus and to love and to care for and to pour their lives into the believers at Ephesus. And Paul is saying, when you go back to Ephesus, I want you to care for the church. He refers to it as the flock, comparing it like a flock of sheep. You're shepherding them. I want you to care for that flock. And the way that I want you to care for that flock is that I want you to constantly keep something before you. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and you're to care for, notice who you're to care for, the church of God. And what is the description of this church? What is the identity of this church? Which he obtained with his own blood. Care for the church of God. Which church? What is the description, the identity of the church? Which he obtained with his own blood. Now, first of all, what Paul says, and my sermon outline is contained in your uh, bulletin, your Rocky Mountain Connection, and encourage you to follow along with me. He says, I want you to care for the church of God. The Greek word that's translated church there means called out once. It's actually a combination of a preposition which means out And another word that means to call. And so it's the idea of called out once. And he's saying that the church, the idea of the church, is that we are called out by God to belong to Him, to serve Him, to walk with Him. And we are called out together. Notice he says, I want you to care for the church of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He refers to the believers as the church. Now, the church is not the building. The church is not all the organizational things that we do. The church is the people of God who have been called out for God, by God and purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, in our American culture, we tend to talk a lot in terms of first-person plural, uh, singular pronouns, me and I. And that has sort of bled into the church, if you will. In that so often, what do we talk about? We talk about how Jesus saved me. We talk about God's will for me. We talk so often in those first-person pronouns, you know, what God's doing in my life. But what you see in the New Testament is not so much an emphasis on the individual as an emphasis on the community. Jesus, excuse me, Paul here does not say Jesus died for you. He purchased you. He says he purchased the church. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about this way. I've got a 
This is, doesn't have eggs in it, okay? But this is a carton that we could have had eggs in. I didn't trust myself with eggs up here. I'd probably drop them all over the place in the process of preaching and crack them and the whole bit. Or as one my deacon suggested to me earlier this morning, I could just tell us that we're all a bunch of you know, cracked eggs and, and leave it at that. When you go to the grocery store and you purchase a carton of eggs, this is a big one here. This is 18 of them you'd get. You are purchasing individual eggs. But you were also purchasing 18 of them at one time. So when you go to get it, you're buying individual ones, but you're buying the whole carton of them at one time. You see, individual and group. What we tend to do in Western culture is understand God's work almost exclusively in terms of the individual egg. Me, Am I? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for my sins. What is the will of God for me? What does God want to do in my life? Would you pray for me? But what the scriptures do is they put more of the emphasis on the whole carton. Jesus died for us. It is God's will for what he wants to do in the whole church, not just in my life. Jesus is saving all of us. I'm not trying to put down the individual aspect, but what I'm saying is that we have so concentrated on individuals that we lose sight of the fact that we are community, that we are together. That's why people will say, well, I don't need to go to church in order to know the Lord and serve the Lord and walk with the Lord. Well, the problem with that idea is it doesn't square with Scripture and it doesn't square with how God says He works. God doesn't just work in terms of my individual life. He works in terms of the whole body of Christ. And I don't have the right to tell God how He's going to work. The only right I got to do is listen to Him tell me how He's going to work and then get on His program about how He's going to work. And He doesn't work in terms of the individual. He works in terms of the whole carton of us together. So when when Paul talks here about how he obtained us with his own blood, he's saying he died for all of us. He's working in terms of all of us. And you are to care, he says, for the whole church that he's purchased with his blood. Think about it. When Jesus conducted the Lord's Supper for the first time, he had a group of guys together in that upper room. He looked around and he spoke to the whole group and he conducted and led and instituted the Lord's Supper with the whole group that was in front of him, not just one. He didn't take a disciple aside and said, okay, now I'm going to have a supper with you tonight. This is about you. What did he do? He got the 12 together. He says, that's about us it is about you, plural. And what I'm going to do here, and when you celebrate this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. But again, he wasn't saying that to one individual. He was saying that to the whole group. Do this together in remembrance of me. Now, notice what he says next about the church. He says he obtained it with his own blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. So he says, you have been ransomed, you have been bought, you have been as 
Acts says, obtain with the precious blood of Christ. Now, let me go into this word that's translated here in the ESV translation in Acts, obtained. Uh, he just talked about how we were ransomed. Let's talk about the concept here. First of all, it is a multifaceted concept that's translated with this word. It has to do with enslavement to sin that binds us to our owner. In other words, what he's saying is we have, were enslaved to sin and Jesus bought and paid the price for us to have freedom. It is the idea that he purchased not just our forgiveness but our holiness and transferred us into God's kingdom. It's the idea of breaking sin's power over us. It's the idea of buying something in the marketplace. Now let me use several illustrations here because this word was used in that day to illustrate several things that had to do with the language of commerce. First of all, it was used of going into the marketplace and buying something. In other words, you just walk in there and when you went to buy something, you would use this word translated here, obtain or ransomed. I bought that. Secondly, it was used of hostages that had their freedom purchased. If you were taken hostage, you could have your freedom purchased for you by someone obtaining you are buying your freedom. It was used of prisoners of war. And in those days when a nation would go in and conquer another nation, what they would do is they would gather up most of the people in that nation that was conquered and take them back to the land of the conquering nation. And you could buy them out of slavery or buy them back if your family could put the money together to obtain them or to purchase them or to ransom them. And so that's the, another idea behind this word. You're being bought back after you have been acquired by someone who's conquered you. It spoke of a debtor who was in debtor's prison. And in those days, if you couldn't pay your bills, if we did the same thing in this country in the early days, the colonial period, if you couldn't pay your bills, you got thrown in debtor's prison, which never made any sense because how do you get out of debtor's prison if you can't work uh, to earn money to get yourself out of debtor's prison? And so the way you stayed and got out of debtor's prison is you had to depend on somebody else to pay the price for you to get out of debtor's prison. Again, the word was used in that way. And what he's trying to say here is this. When Jesus went to the cross and died for us, we owed a debt we could not pay. We were in a debtor's prison of sin, and Jesus paid the price on the cross in his blood to set us free. We can't work ourselves out of the sin debt. We can't pay ourselves out of the sin debt. Only Jesus could do that for us on the cross. We are helpless apart from him. It is the idea that Satan took us hostage. Our sin took us hostage. And Satan took us into his kingdom. And we were in bondage to him and under his power and in and under his control. And what he has done is he has acted to set us free. And what Jesus did on the cross is that he set us free and he broke the power of Satan in our lives. You see, the only way that we live under the power of Satan in our lives is we have to buy into his lie that we are under his power. The reason so many Christians are under the control of Satan and, and in the power of darkness is because they're buying into the lie that they have to live under his control, that they have to live under his power. Because the truth of Scripture is that Jesus on the cross in his blood broke the power of Satan in our lives once and for all. And the only way we go back into that 
control and under his power is if we choose to by believing his lie that says you can't help yourself, you can't control yourself, you've got to do this. And what we have to learn to do is look Satan in the face, look evil in the face and say Jesus set me free and I'm going to live and I'm going to walk in the freedom that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. That is, again, the idea of the word that he uses here, that we are no longer in bondage. He has given us that victory. But how did he do it? He says he purchased us with his own blood. There is a lot of emphasis in Scripture on the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ being the way to set us free. In fact, in both the Old and New Testament, God never deals with sin without the shedding of blood. If you go back to the Old Testament, God institutes the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system was all about sacrificing different animals, often a lamb. And the blood of the lamb was presented to the Lord as His way of saying that they were covering over sin. Sin is so serious. It separates us from God. It requires the shedding of blood to say before God that life has been given Because of the seriousness of sin. And in the Old Testament, it covered over the sin. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus takes out the sin. Doesn't cover the sin anymore. It takes out the sin. But only the blood of Jesus can do this. It says He obtained us with His own blood. His own blood. Because the blood of Jesus is the blood of the only Son of God. It is the blood of the sinless Son of God. You see, no one else's blood would do. His is the blood of the only currency that could buy us because His blood and His blood only is sinless because He is the Son of God. It says His own blood. The word own there speaks of a term of endearment, of closeness. Now think about what he's saying here. He purchased the church. He obtained the church with his own blood. 1 Peter 1.19, it is with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish. I want you to think about that in two ways, if you would. Number one... God measured your value to Him in the blood of His Son. God measured your value to Him in the blood of His Son. You see, we worry and we fret and we get so frustrated sometimes in life because we measure our value by our performance, by the opinions of other people by what others have said about us or done to us, about what we've been able to achieve or not achieve. But on the cross, Jesus measured our value for time and eternity in the blood of His Son. The second thing that Jesus measured in value was His church. He purchased His church with the shedding of His blood. Please hear me on this. I joked earlier about us being a bunch of cracked eggs. But you know something? Have you ever opened up one of these cartons and found a cracked egg or two in it? 
The other morning, a few weeks ago, I was getting dressed and I heard my wife let out this scream. I thought we had a mouse in the house or something. And then I go down into the kitchen to discover that she's running frantically around the kitchen gagging. And I thought, Lord have mercy, what in the world is going on? She had opened a carton of eggs. Not only do we have a cracked egg in there, but it had rotten. Have you ever smelled a rotten egg in a carton? It is rough stuff. Now, follow me on this. The cracked egg was purchased just like the whole eggs were. The rotten egg had been purchased just like the good eggs were. All of the eggs in here had been purchased together, and all of the eggs, whether they were cracked or non-cracked, whether they were rotten or non-rotten, had all been paid by the same money and belonged to the same owner and had made their way into our house, okay? What am I driving at? When it says here that he purchased the church, obtained the church with his own blood, folks, this carton called the church is not filled with a bunch of perfect eggs. It is filled with a bunch of cracked eggs. In fact, it is filled with eggs that sooner or later all of us get a little on the rotten side and we smell to be around and talk to and hang out with. And this is a lot of time what goes on with us when we relate to the church. We open the carton and look in and because it says church on the outside we expect every egg on the inside to be perfect and to look good and to smell good and to be right in its place and when it's not what do we tend to do oh look at that cracked egg there and then when we see a few cracked eggs we say look at those people they are cracked up and then when one or two of them are rotten we say oh I don't want to be around the church because it's rotten and we, we're not careful we get into this deal and we're constantly trashing the church because the church is full of a bunch of cracked, rotten eggs. And that's true. The church does have a lot of cracked, rotten eggs in it. But you know something? He shed his blood for a whole bunch of cracked, rotten eggs. And when I say I don't want the church and I don't need the church because the church isn't good enough, I am saying that what Jesus bought with his blood isn't good enough for me. And when Jesus knew what he was getting himself into when he bought this, I'm not going to get into. But if Jesus got into it, I need to get into it. And before I look at other people and say how cracked up they are, I need to look in the mirror and realize how cracked up I am. Before I say they smell so rotten, I smell fairly rotten myself, etc. You see, Jesus bought the whole thing. And the preciousness of the church is not what we look like and sound like. It's because because of the blood that was shed for us, who purchased us, and who owns us. That's what makes the church precious. I mean, sometimes as a pastor, I get frustrated with the church. I'll be honest with you. And Jesus has to jack me up and say, Hey, that church you're frustrated with, I bought it with my blood. It's mine. Your job is not to be frustrated with how cracked up they are. Your job is to love them like I love them and learn how to love the folks like I love them. That's what he's called us to be. Application, number one, what's our identity as the church? What is our identity as believers? That we are his church purchased by his blood. That's our identity. Before anything else, that's our identity. His church purchased with his blood. Second, we are free. 
We have been freed from sin, from Satan, from guilt. We've been freed from Satan's lies. And we have been set free to know Him, to love Him, to walk with Him, to serve Him. We've changed owners. And finally, we've got value. Value that is measured in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in just a moment... As we take a piece of bread and we are reminded of his body broken for us. As we take that juice and we are reminded of his blood poured out for us. Know that they, that's what he says about your value and the value of the church. Know that that is your ticket to spiritual freedom. To know him and walk with him. And know that that speaks of our identity. Who are we? We are his people. Obtained by him at the cost of his blood. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. And I want to give you a moment in silent prayer just to talk to Jesus, to confess to him any sin that you need to confess to him. To let the Spirit of God search our hearts and our minds about any areas of disobedience inside of us.